just put my football analyst hat on. They don't have as much ability to switch things around like Arsenal do with Niedema, Blacksenius. They can try different formations. Don't think United might have that. They don't have the personnel to do that. Subscribe to the OTB Koyig pod on the OTB Sports app now. Welcome along to Wednesday's Off The Ball. We've got a really good show between now and 10pm in the football show. Harry Pryor is going to join us to take a look at Liverpool. Bailed out a little bit by Maddox's late winner in the Champions League against Ajax last night. They now go into what's effectively a three-week break because their game against Chelsea is off this weekend. We'll be keeping an eye on the Champions League throughout the evening as well. Graham Potter's first game in charge of Chelsea. Man City in action against Dortmund. That is a return to Dortmund for Erling Haaland. And Celtic in action at the moment against Shakhtar Donetsk. We'll be talking to Dan the Manchester the Waterford hurling legend who has called time on his club career remarkably he played for 30 seasons as a senior with Liss Moore he has decided to step away and is now likely to go in with the Leash Senior Hurling Management for next season and we will be talking Wednesday Night Rugby with Liam Toland and Rory O'Connor including that 35 man emerging Ireland squad which will be travelling to South Africa and potentially a role at number 10 across that tour for Kieran Frawley so all that to look forward to between now and 10 delighted to say we're joined by Richie McCormick Richie how are you getting on? Evening, gents. Mick McCarthy's here with me as well. How are you, Mick? Hey, Will. Hey, Richie. Um, looking forward to talking to Dan the Man. You said to me before we came in, when we lined Dan up, that you wanted to talk about a moment of shithousery in a sporting context from Dan. Unparalleled, I was saying, the game of hurling. Uh, so I'm not sure if it was, it was. What year did Clare and Limerick meet in the league final and then straight away in the Munster Championship a couple of weeks later? I think it was 17, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Davies last year at Clare? Yeah. Right. No, uh, it was 16, wasn't it? 16, yeah, okay, so it was probably 2016 then, right? And uh, Dan Shanahan's the selector the on the Waterford team. This is the championship game. I'd been in Thurles. Your beloved Clare. Two, two, two out of three weeks in a row, yeah, as a Clare fan. Two out of three weeks. So they played league final, then first round of the championship. Very similar seats in Thurles. Low. I don't usually sit so low at the stand. Actually, I usually go to the terrace, but sitting low and stand quite close to the sideline, where Dan is standing on the sideline, if not sometimes on the pitch, wearing... <laughs> The blue shorts of Waterford, wearing a nondescript tight kind of like black top with very little sleeves and a yellow bib. And he was wearing a black cap backwards. So if I was to look at him from maybe 85 yards away, maybe that's the distance where the Clare goalkeeper was. And I was to look down the field and I seen a man with a black helmet-like device. You were going to claim a yellow, a clear player on the pitch. A yellow bib and blue shorts. What would I think? You're would thinking I think that there's probably a Clare man free on the sideline there. A Clare wing forward is ready to catch the ball. I would say four balls went over the sideline from the Clare puck out. Uh, at varying points of the game, they weren't like always following him. He was very clever about when he came out for it as well. At one point, I saw him walk. You know the way they kind of turn after a, a puck out was the sideline? He kind of walked back to the bench with a, a smirk on his face. At the time, I was quite angry. As I said, I was, I was close enough to be like shouting at the linesman to have a brain and figure this bloody thing out, you idiot. Um, now I look back at it with Surely, such joy, Will. That's like just... what that. Like, what else is a selector for but to, like, completely just confound the opposition with just... uh, By the way, I watched every Waterford game that year. I think it might have been 17 because they they got to the All-Ireland. I'm not sure. But obviously, I watched every Waterford game that year anyway afterwards. He never wore yellow again. I think it was always a red bib after that. It's usually a kind of an orangey colour. Yeah. Is that not up on the officials to actually pick up on that? I can't believe they did. Of course it is. But, like, I'm sorry. Not not to besmirch GA officialdom, but... 
it didn't surprise me they didn't pick up on it. That's all I'll say. It's very clever. I mean, <laughs> it's incredibly clever. Where, where to find a yellow bib, first of all, because they're all like, the, you wouldn't get away with it. It now, was bright yellow. Color it was bright yellow. He's basically wearing a clear kit. Oh. Yeah. Um, again, from far away. But even the black helmet and backwards, or the black hat and backwards, like that kind of looks like a helmet then, you know? I'm sure Dan will defend Marginal gains, Mick. Marginal gains. Oh, look, uh, Richie, it's years on. I'm, I, I look back on this with nothing but admiration and respect, you know? I'm sure Dan... And still a little bit of anger at the lines of it. Well, you've always got simmering anger, Mick. I think we can say that. But... Um, but is this the kind of tactic that's going to get Leash back into the uh, the uh, what you call it the Leinster hurling championship, William? Um, I think they should get back into the Leinster hurling championship anyway. Oh, I think they'll be some, there. There's some awfully errorism. Yeah, it is yeah. the error, isn't it? They'll be the strong favourites like to win the Joe McDonough next year if they can get everyone hurling. That is the problem that Leash are going to face. I think there's a lot of their players who are already talking about going into retirement ahead of next season. I don't know if Paddy Purcell is going to go back in with the team. I don't know what's going to happen with Roddy King. They're the type of players that Leash are going to need if they want to get out of the Joe McDonough. But to me, on the face of it, this looks like a pretty good management team. Willie Marr going in as manager on the back of winning a couple of Dublin titles with Kula. He's with Bennett's Bridge at the moment. He's managing them alongside Dan Shannon. And Dan would have been a selector alongside... Well, Marr would have been a selector as part of Derek McGrath's management team with them as well. So given that they've worked together before, it seems almost the perfect management team. It's just Leash left it really, really late to actually make an appointment because Cheddar Plunkett effectively walked the week after they were knocked out of the Leinster Championship so they had over 100 days to make the appointment and I get the feeling they went to a few different potential candidates before deciding on Willie Marr as the man to take over but by all reports like I listened to Derek McGrath yesterday on OTBM it seems that Dan Shannon's a really good coach Yeah I Look and I've heard that before and I've heard it from, from Derek yesterday and, and before and from the Waterford players that were in there so yeah look I mean I think that it's a it's a great appointment for Leash if it does come off um, be interested to see that like John McDonough gets better every year to be honest but I, I know what you're saying and look I mean we're not going to get into this like there's no point in having a big long conversation at this time of year about about, about Leash uh, hurling at the start of the show but I don't know if it's as automatic I know what you're saying that things have to go right but even if they do it was such a slide last year I'm feeling that John McDonough is going to get harder and harder to get out of and if you're coming in with, in there with the negative momentum of what was a horrific season last year like I mean back to the old days of Leash really wasn't it um, I think it's going to be I just think it's an uphill task I would I would not be backing them let's say if I was to have to pick one of the five teams next year I think history tends to tell that the team that goes down comes back up. I know but I'm just I just Maybe this again I just think ends. that it was such a bad year for Leash and I just feel like it seems to be getting to be more and more of a competitive championship I think it's a couple of years behind because of between Covid and adding that extra team to Leinster, mm-hmm. I think, has kind of hurt it in some ways. But I think, again, that's sort of regrouping now, you know. I thought Kerry looked pretty good and yeah. they put in a decent performance against Antrim in the final. That's the one to watch out for is that Kerry for the last three years have been that close and yeah. not quite getting up. Yeah. That maybe this is the year, maybe now that Stephen Malumphy's had a season with them, that now that might be the year they kick on. But. Yeah, and look, I mean, I know you don't want to talk them up too much, but I, I do think that awfully have it in them to improve an awful lot over... Uh, like, I think they can they can seriously improve on 12 months on from what they did last year. You they know, I think bit. they underachieved last year, but also I think they're an improving team as well. So yeah. you add those two things together, you go to your right level of achievement plus improvement. 
I think they've got their look. They've got their best player before we get onto tonight's ball back in Ushin Kelly for next season, mm-hmm. which they need. And then after that, I think the under twenty off team are the one to watch for next year because Leo O'Connor has gone with the minors as the under twenty manager for yeah. next season. And obviously, I think he feels that quite a few of the players coming off that seventeens team are going to be decent. So. I think watch and just see what happens with Offaly in the next three or four seasons. I wouldn't put too much pressure on next year. Richie, what's happening with tonight's ball so far? Uh, lots of it uh, already underway, of course. And Shamrock Rovers facing a first-round exit from the UEFA Youth League. They lost this evening's first leg by five goals to nil in the Netherlands to AZ. The second leg takes place in just under three weeks' time. They're well into the second half now, just coming up in 20 minutes to go in Warsaw in Group F of the Champions League. It's Shakhtar Donetsk 1, Celtic 1. The other game in the group kicks off at 8 and sees reigning champions Real Madrid play host to Orby Leipzig. Erling Haaland does start against his former side tonight as Manchester City entertain Borussia Dortmund in Group G. An interesting looking back four for City tonight. Ederson starts in goal, of course. At right back tonight is John Stones. He's got to the left of him Manuel Kanji, Nathan Aki, and over on the far side of the pitch, Joao Cancelo. In midfield, slightly more standard there. Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan. And in support of Haaland, Maria Mares and Jack Grealish. The other game in that group sees Copenhagen play host to Sevilla. New, a new manager, Graham Potter, even... even has restored Thiago Silva, Mark Cucurella and Jorginho to the Chelsea starting eleven for their group E game with Salzburg. Interestingly, he's reverted to a back four uh, with Kepa Ariza Balaga starting in goal in place of the absent Edward Mendy. It's Rhys James, Cesar Azpilicueta, Thiago Silva and Mark Cucurella across the back four. Jorginho and Mateo Kovacic sit in midfield in front of them. The trio of Mason Mount, Kai Havertz and Raheem Sterling and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is the man up top. There was a 5.45 start in the group's other game. AC Milan currently 2-1 up at home to Dinamo Zagreb. It was former Chelsea man Olivier Giroud who opened the scoring there through the penalty. And Rangers are seeking their first points in Group A tonight as they welcome Napoli to Ibrox. Tonight's other action is in Group H with Juventus at home to Benfica and Maccabi Haifa hosting Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, and of course the newsroom brought to you by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, that Chelsea team is interesting, Mick, in that a few things. They've gone from a back five to a back four. Yeah. I was wondering what was going to happen with Cucurella because there was this very unusual situation where Cucurella went one way and left Graham Potter and Brighton. And then you had the situation where Brighton signed Billy Gilmore and he left literally just before Graham Potter ended up coming in. And mm. they were talking about Graham Potter being a major reason for him to actually go to Brighton and Hove Albion. In this case, I wonder how awkward the conversation between Cucurella and Potter was. Nah, I don't know. Like, I mean, the, the falling out over Cucurella seems to be between the clubs mm. rather than, I think, the manager. I think the Gilmore, I think it's a bigger issue for Billy Gilmore than it is for the other three people in this scenario. I think Potter and Cucurella would be delighted to be reunited in this regard. Like, I mean, it's not as if, I think, well, I think when you move, it's not like, it's not like moving to moving sideways. I think when you move to a big club, I think there's an automatic assumption. Of course, you're going to. Of course, Cucurella was going to go to Chelsea uh, when the money came in. So I wouldn't worry about that at all. I'm just. I'm, I'm interested to see the shape of that team. I'm interested to see how Aubameyang fits in. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's like. I felt it's for great Aubameyang though, isn't it? Because it, it is great that uh, you know Chelsea have done this because. They weren't the team. I, I, like I've, I've been fascinated by Man City this year. I've been fascinated by Liverpool not performing at their best. I've been fascinated by Arsenal. Chelsea, not really paying too much attention to. They go and sack their manager, and now it's, a, it's like, right, really looking forward to this Chelsea game. It's like, it's like they know what they're doing, these, uh, this, this, uh, whoever writes the script for the English uh, Premier League slash Champions <laughs> League teams. Aubameyang is the man I felt sorry for. He had the whole interview. He says, I'm looking forward to getting back with Tommy T. Don't this ever feel great. sorry for Aubameyang. 59 minutes, Richie, he got with him in the end. 
<laughs> don't ever feel have you not seen that Arsenal Riven or whatever it was uh, all or nothing documentary there's no sorry to be had for Pierre Aubameyang and his translucent cars like like he's grand Will he's going to be okay he's a fine he really collection is. of translucent I think the interest cars but, I would say What's okay. the problem with the that, though? That's just people. like, he, he doesn't seem like a bad guy. He just likes a bit of flash and stuff like that. As a Bows fan, Richie, I would no, say I've you no understand time. that kind of stuff, you know? Flash for the sake no of flash. For, like. I've no time for a flash Harry. Uh, a sunshine <laughs> boy, as uh, John Giles might call him. Yeah. Just, oh, need to graft. I, do, he, I think his yeah, very first you know. appearance in it, he turns up in like an all-gold tracksuit. Yeah. In the car park for the first he day does. of preseason, I think he's wearing a lot of gold. I mean, yeah. gold through his hair as well, which sets the scene perfectly for the two episodes that follow after that. Did you watch the full doc? I haven't. I, I, do you know what? I was thinking about this last night. I am going to watch it. I've, I keep dipping in, but I'm only a couple of episodes into it. And I was thinking about this yesterday when I was reading about the Magic Johnson documentary coming out. And I was thinking, I'm that's, so much that's more. That's a docu series. I know, but I, yeah. well, as as is, I suppose. Um, as, this, as, yeah. as, as is the Arsenal thing, yeah. But I was just thinking about that. I was like, I'm so much more interested in the story of the past than a kind of a moment in time from now because it's the full story, you know? And it, it, it is... And not only is it the full story, but it's so much more honest because of it, yeah. you know? And I was just thinking about this. I will watch the All or Nothings. I did like the Tottenham one. I think the Arsenal one has been okay so far, but it just doesn't feel essential in the way that maybe, obviously, the Jordan one was probably the best ever, but, you know, some of those great ones of the past are See, going to I be. think having Mourinho helped with the Spurs did, one as yeah, well. Just, just the natural narrative that kind of happened because of the switch managers at the end of episode one. I agree with you, though. I watched. I finally got around to watching the Neymar documentary last night, and I was so annoyed Why? at it. Oh, I wouldn't even try it. Like, you know, um, Especially when you're so flooded uh, with that. It came up on recommended things, Richie. It wasn't something I actually sought out, but it was one of those where I hadn't seen it and thought, right, I'll have a look. And the killer is that you get to points like when Neymar decided he wanted to leave PSG in 2019 mm. and Barcelona put the bid in and there's a bit of that in the background and it basically gets about two and a half minutes of coverage and then they just brush it over entirely. You can tell it's made by Neymar's production company and it's all about making Neymar look as good as possible so the fans are being blamed at PSG. I would like to have heard some introspective conversation from Neymar saying, I shouldn't have done this or yeah. why did I do it? No, it was just literally done. Whereas like the Maradona or even the Pele docs have a little bit like Pele unbelievably involved in his own thing and it completely compromised it but you still got loads of cool stuff in it yeah. because ultimately what is Pele protecting anymore you know whereas like Neymar it's it's a, it's a, a advertising vehicle and like I mean I saw when I was flicking through the other day again because you're just absolutely flooded with sports stocks at the moment and all the, all the streaming sites but that pogmentary thing oh. it's like we've been meaning to talk about how bad it is on the show for a while but it's almost like I refuse I, I, it's like point blank refuse to even watch a minute of it so I can even have a discussion on how bad it is if I can give credit to Manchester United for anything fair play to them for announcing Pogba's departure before he got to do it on his documentary I think that was the plan is that he wanted to announce it on uh, that he was even leaving United on yeah. that oh, right. yeah yeah he wanted to basically announce his move to Juventus among the episodes so you know they got in ahead of that Richie um, Arsenal's Europa League game which was due to be played against PSV has been rescheduled yeah and it's not as if it solves any real fixture congestion for them either their postponed Europa League game with PSV Eindhoven refixed for October 20th as a result of that their scheduled Premier League meeting <laughs> with Manchester City for October 19th has in turn been postponed no date forthcoming as you might imagine for that one just yet yeah never ending now tell us about this emerging Ireland squad we'll be talking to this on Wednesday Night Rugby in a bit more detail with Liam Tolan <coughs> and Rory O'Connor but we know the identity of the 35 players who'll be travelling to South Africa now 
Yeah, and only four of them have prior full international experience named in that Emerging Ireland squad to tour South Africa. Robert Balakoon, Quaylen Blade, Shane Day, Max Deegan are among the 35-man squad that will work under Simon Easterby. Also included is Munster's French-born recent signing Antoine Frisch and recent Sevens player Andrew Smith. Emerging Ireland's tour begins against the Windhoek Draft Griquas in Bloemfontein on the 30th of this month. Easterby says the excursion will provide the perfect opportunity for Kieran Frawley to stake his claim to be Jonathan Sexton's long-term successor. I think there has to be a, a degree of flexibility, but, but we feel Frawls has the potential to um, lead in, in, in a number of different positions. Obviously, he's played 12 a fair bit for Leinster, um, but we see him, uh, which he did in the, in the, in the Maori weeks, as being a, a guy that can lead from the front at 10, you know, lead a week. Um, you know, he'll, he'll be asked um, in, in the, the next few weeks to do a slightly different role to what he was doing in New Zealand because he had a lot of senior players around him. You know, we feel like he has the ability to, to step up and, and um, front uh, the week, lead the week as someone like, you know, the extreme Johnny Sexton does week in, week out uh, and has done that for a number of years. So giving those players like Frawls the opportunity to uh, to um, put himself at the forefront of, of, a, of a week, lead it and, and take the team uh, to, a, to a performance on a weekend in that position at 10 is, is crucial for us. Um, you know, we're still finding a little bit about Frawls and, and the way he can play. Um, you know, it's you can see that when they're playing in the URC and they're playing for their provinces, but it is slightly different. And there's not a huge difference, but it is different when you have them in your environment um, across a you know a couple of week period. And hopefully, we can we can benefit from that time, and, and Frawls can benefit from that time with us when he goes back into Leinster after this trip. Mick, what do you make of this? Um... Obviously, there had to be a certain amount of negotiation between the provinces and the RFU about who'd be released. I mean, I'm sure Ulster would much prefer to have Doak and Balakoon and some players who could have been quite important for them over the next few weeks. On the other hand, you're a year out from the World Cup and this is an opportunity to maybe spread the net a bit. Yeah, I think ultimately the RFU are going to be the ones making these decisions at the end of the day, aren't they? Like, you know, for, for all the independence that might be there... Um, I think for Kieran Frawley, it's it's brilliant because I think if, if Andy Farrell does see him as the option at 10 that he wants to explore, we just know that Lencer, that he's not going to get that opportunity at Lencer, whereas he will here. But again, what games are going to be missed for this? I presume it's, it, it's a URC windows and like Lencer kind of need Kieran Frawley at that time. They might not play him enough at 10, but like... I would he's assume there, he's a big part of their, their. I'd say in terms of appearances in the URC, he's well up there with any other player that they have. Yeah, you know? like so, and obviously the same with the other provinces. I'm just using that as an example. I'm thinking between now and November, how much rugby will Johnny Sexton, Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw play for Leinster? If you take the Frawley can play across 10, yeah. 12, 13, you would think is he would have played a lot of rugby. On the other hand, as we heard from Simon Easterby, this is about looking at him at ten. Maybe yeah, he did enough against the Maori to think. Exactly. Like to look at. And I think most Irish rugby fans will understand that that if that is something that we want to see more of and that is an option and does have the potential to be a Johnny Sexton type player, not necessarily the second best out half we have, but a Johnny Sexton type that doesn't mess up the game plan when he comes into the to the game, then I think that's what we have to do. That's fine. I just you know, the the, the question is we were talking yesterday about the URC's return and you know there's a, the soft start, let's say, and how it's it's hard to take a, uh, the return of a league seriously when we're looking at pictures of half the 
half the province's teams at a wedding in France. Yeah, I you think know, like probably going to see more stars of Peter one of the players than this weekend. No, do you know what I mean? And and it's fine. It's completely understandable. There, and there's no easy solution. But at the same time, one thing I did say was that it doesn't mean that the clubs don't take these games seriously. They understand what they have and what who they're able to play. But they still want to win these games. And the league is still a very, very important thing. And it's not nothing to take these players away. And we should just because maybe we don't really care, mm. <laughs> you know, in a way, because you expect Leinster to top the URC and you expect the Irish teams to qualify for Europe it's not and the possibly paradox get into the knock, knockout stages. It's still important that they're able to have at least... Again, they're used to missing their frontline internationals. Mm. Now they're going to miss. You see, that's the thing. While well. the frontline players are away, the vast majority. You now there are some kind of like say the sevens guys who have been brought along, and this is about maybe seeing where they're at of fifteens and so on. And a lot of the under twenties from the last two seasons about trying them out. But a lot of these guys would have played substantial rugby in the URC over mm. the next four weeks. Yeah, it weakens the provinces over the next while. Yeah, oh, without so. doubt. Anyway, Richie Monaghan still don't have a manager. No, they don't, uh, but they're getting closer, it seems. Former Monaghan defender Vinnie Corey is the latest name in the frame to succeed Seamus McEnany as their senior football manager. The process of replacing Banty has proved a tricky one with ex-Dublin All-Ireland winners Jason Sherlock and Jer Brennan both withdrawing from the race while appearing close to the job. The independents say Monaghan hoped to have a new boss in place within 10 days' time and Corey was part of McEnany's backroom team last year, having retired as a player in 2019. Kevin McSay also... Uh, held his first uh, media briefing, I think we'll call it, after being appointed as the boss in the West. Yeah, he's called for patience as he settles into his new role as Mayo Senior Football Manager. He was handed a four-year term to succeed James Horne, of course, and he'll be assisted by Stephen Rochford, Tony Buckley and Liam McHale. McStay told Midwest Radio that he is a better manager now than when he applied for the job back in 2014. And while he says there's plenty of legs still left in the current panel, he stressed the importance of building a deep squad. The conditioning of these players is so advanced now that I, I don't even put an age on them. Like I just see who performed well for Mayo in 2022. Could he be a part of 2023? That's that's my yardstick, and I know that's the way the lads think the same. And you know we have to build a panel. You know we we have to build uh, a bench that makes big impacts. Um, so they're the challenges we're looking at. And we're going to need you know as many as possible on board. But these are discussions I, we, we'll be having along the way. But no, I, I think players' best move now is play your club championships, give it everything you have, and impress us. Show us that you're still out there, uh, out, out there uh, working hard uh, at your game, and you're still at a high standard. I think that'll be a great starting starting off point. Yeah, no great surprise in what Kevin McStay has said there, Mick. You know, it's about setting standards, it's about hitting the ground running now. And I think probably most people got a good look at that management team where there's about four or five guys with intercounty management experience who are part team. of the backroom team. It's an unbelievable team. You got like a like local living legend who's worked with McStay for so long and McHale, and he's probably the least experienced of the main guys. If you look at you know with with, with Rochford and um, and Buckley, you know. But it's funny. Did you see the? kind of sheet going around yesterday when it was like the, the, the and you're, you're counting the names you're thinking God it's pretty big isn't it there's like 13 names on this or something like that and then you read to the bottom and it says here's a load of appointments that will be made yeah, in the future made, yeah. and you're like Jesus and and by the way that's not a dig at Mayo because almost all of the top level setups are like this now I remember starting years ago when you were talking about Dublin their 20 man backroom team like laughing about it and it's like standard now I remember know? the Tipperary hurling manager team in 2019 got a picture in Crow Park and it was bigger than the playing pattern yeah that's just the reality of and like that's the cold war as well there's so much money in that as well and like I, I'm not to say that every job that's done there isn't done well but I do think there's a question as to 
having that many people involved is that taking resources away from from somewhere else and is that right you know we can talk about the split season and this is a conversation for another day I completely accept it's that it's a much wider debate we can talk the about, we can talk about the split season cost, and we can talk yeah but that's what I'm saying but we can talk about the move away from kind of like county dominance but I think we're probably better off moving away from county you know be all end all like we have to every, an arms race almost for the best preparation you know I think if, if we put limits on that then is everybody in the same boat and are we still okay? You know, it's a question for another day, I think. There you go, 53106. If you've got an opinion on what Mick has just thrown out there. Um, let's finish off on what seems like a story every single week, Richie. Rory versus Live Golf. Yeah, he's reiterated his belief that Live Golf players should not be considered for next year's Ryder Cup. He's at the venue for that tournament, the Marco Simone Golf Club in Rome for this week's Italian Open. McElroy finished tied for second at last week's BMW PGA Championship and says the presence of 18 Live conscripts there gave him extra motivation at Wentworth. In a way, I mean, that, the leaderboard at Wentworth last week at about 2pm on Sunday was, was looking pretty grim if you were in, in a in a position that I hold. Um, and that certainly gives me a bit of extra motivation and probably a few of the other guys on the leaderboard to, um, to get past that 14 under mark. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a weird time in golf and, and you know, hopefully over the next couple of years we can resolve it in some sort of way. But, but right now it's, um, you know, look, I, I, I'm, I'm a golfer, I play golf, I, you know, maybe put myself in the conversation too much at times, but, and, you know, I can't help myself because I feel strongly about it, but um, it's up to the, you know, it's up to the powers that be to, to try to come to some, some sort of, um, not resolution, I don't think that's the right word, but uh, a strategy going forward so that the game can thrive at, at the highest level. Rory McIlroy there speaking ahead of the Italian Open which is at the scene of next year's Ryder Cup as well Richie thanks a million nice lads and Mick as well that is the newsroom we'll be talking to Dan Shannon in a few minutes time 